Because the, the Bible is easier to understand than the hymn book. <laughs> now, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12, first of all. And then I want to go to Proverbs 18, which is uh, the main text. And then to James chapter 3. So we'll uh, consider first Proverbs 12. Read Proverbs 12 verse 19. And we could add verse 22. But verse 19 of Proverbs 12. I want to consider with you the purity and the poison of your mouth. The purity and the poison of your tongue. So quite a practical uh, section from the Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 12 then verse 19. Truthful lips endure forever, last always, right? But a lying tongue is but for a moment. Verse 22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. And then if you go to Proverbs 18, Proverbs 18 verse 21, this is the text that was upon my heart. It's quite profound. Proverbs 18.21 says, uh, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, those who love it will eat its fruits. And then if you go to the New Testament, to James chapter 3, which is a very relevant passage, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> James writes and he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire! And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and my sisters, these things ought not to be so. And we'll stop there. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Quite a profound passage, isn't it? James chapter 3. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come now before you because we have come to hear your word. 
And may the relevance of these passages which we have read impress themselves upon us so that we might be obedient, that we might fulfill what your word says we should do with our lips, with our tongues, with our mouths. O Father, we have said many things that have been wrong, that have hurt, and we desire that instead we should say those things that bless We bless you on the one hand and we curse men and women on the other hand. How sad it is. Such a small little member in our entire body, yet the power of it is deadly. And so help us, we pray, to change our minds and our hearts and our tongues and our words, that what we say and what we speak might be all for your glory and for your praise. So by your Holy Spirit we ask, Father, that you would work in us And may we all learn from our Lord Jesus Christ and the things that he said and how he said them. These things we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It would probably be true, I think, to say that the power of the tongue is greater than the power of the fist. Uh, Physical hurt uh, with our fists or our fightings is one thing, but the... The things that come out of our mouths have an incredible power. In fact, Proverbs seems to say that death uh, issues forth from our mouths, from our lips, from our tongues. We all know, and I'm sure we've all experienced at some time or other, that words have the power to hurt others. And sometimes knowing that, we actually say what we want to say to hurt other people. Words have the power to destroy Words have the power to kill. In fact, Proverbs 18 says that death is in the tongue. It issues forth and spews forth things, words that kill. So words that come out of your mouth, they can come fast and they can come furious. And they can hurt and destroy lives. Words ought to be perhaps slow, considerate. If that's the opposite, if if the tongue has the power to kill or to hurt or to destroy, then we should give heed to our words, to our tongues, to what we say, so that we won't hurt, we won't destroy lives, we won't bring others down. I think every one of us has experienced, personally, the use of the tongue, abusively, and have received abuse from the tongues of others. We all know the power that exists in our mouths, the power of words. Words can either build up or words can break down. They're so powerful, this tongue and the words that come from it. Words are, are remarkable, you know, when you think about them. The beauty of words, the glory of words, the wonder of words, the, the, the complexity that we can put words together to describe incredible things. I mean, how do you describe a beautiful landscape with mountains receding in the distance with snow that covers them and then the haze that seems to shimmer in the distance as you look upon it? What kind of words can you come up with to describe such beautiful things? You see them with your eyes, but it becomes very difficult to translate from eyes to lips what you actually see. In fact, you might say, It's beyond me. It's just beautiful. That's all you can say about it. There are many things like that in life. Words are these wonderful tools that we use to describe, to communicate. 
And yet at the same time, we can come up with words that are so dangerous, so deadly, that hurt even our loved ones, that break down relationships. Words that reveal love, words that reveal hatred, sometimes within minutes apart of each other. That's what James meant, right, when he says we bless God on the one hand, we curse man on the other hand, and how, how close together those occurrences might be. Our text, if you look at Proverbs 18, verse 21, it says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Notice the extremes, right? Death or life. Nothing in between, just death and life are in the power of the tongue. And when you consider death and you consider life, these are the antithesis of each other. These are the opposites of each other, aren't they? I mean, when we talk about death, that means no life. When we talk about life, we mean the absence of death. So these are polar opposites. These are the extremes that we find Solomon talking about here. These are words that take life, and these are words that provide life, or give life, share life. And so you can see that these words, which have the power of death and life, they reside in our tongues, in our mouths, in our lips. We say these kinds of things. That's why James is quite right when he says we can curse God and bless, sorry, curse man and bless God with the same mouth. And so we manipulate conversations. We manipulate words. We use words to achieve our own ends. And so we have to pay attention to what we say. So very bad things can come out of your mouth, and perhaps very bad things have come out of your mouths. At the same time, very good things, very profitable things can come out of your mouth. James seems to express, doesn't he, in James chapter 3, that the tongue is a very difficult member to control. It's uncontrollable. You find you say things, and when you've said them, that you didn't mean to really say that, but it came out. It's too late, right? Because the tongue, James says, is very difficult. Your mouth is a very difficult uh, part of your body to control. And we can say hurtful things so fast and so quick. You notice how James... He used those, those examples of a horse and a ship. And when he talks about a horse ride, he talks about bits and bridles, doesn't he? And the bit, of course, is that little thing that just goes in the horse's mouth, and that controls the horse, connected to the reins. Such a small little piece of steel can control that magnificent animal, bring it under control. And likewise, a ship will go in a certain direction depending on the rudder, which is very small in comparison to the ship, which is huge. And those examples by James are because the tongue is such a small instrument, yet its effects or its consequences, like Proverbs 18 says, are death, or could be death, and can be life, which are the extremes, and the very profound extremes at the same time. So bits and bridles and rudders, though very small, can be very effective. And so the tongue can be effective. And at the same time, the tongue can be dangerous. James tells us in James chapter 3, 5, it's a small member. But it can set on fire conversations that last for centuries. It can destroy lives in a heartbeat. 
It's a fire that he says you cannot control, that gets out of hand and then it spreads like a wildfire does, destroys everything in its path. That's the power of our tongues. It's the power of our words, the things that we say. It's capable, isn't it, even though it's such a small member of massive destruction. Capable of massive destruction. Wildfires, they're started by just a small match or a spark, something that the wind may carry. The result, of course, is devastation. Forests burned down, homes destroyed, just from a little spark that set on fire an entire forest and caused it to blaze out of control. This is what James is talking about, isn't he, in chapter 3. He says, your tongue, small member that it is, is an uncontrollable fire. In fact, he even puts it into the spiritual realm and says it is a world of unrighteousness. Filth, unrighteousness comes out of your mouth. And the thing is, it's not just your mouth that is affected by your words, but your entire being. Your mind, your heart, your conscience, everything. Not only what's out there, people that you affect by what you say, but you yourselves, we ourselves, are affected by the use of words, by the use and our communication from the tongue. That's why James says the tongue is actually untamable. We tame horses. We sail ships, but the tongue, he says, there's no bridle, there's no rudder. It's an untamable instrument, he says. In fact, it's a restless evil, constantly seeking to destroy, or to put it the way he says, full of deadly poison. Your words that come from your mouth are either poison or pure profitable. Which are they? Right? What are they for us? James is stressing then how deadly words can be, how deadly the tongue is. He's, he's, he's describing for us how destructive, how dangerous the tongue is, how abusive it can be. I'm sure as a child, as a teenager, I might have said some things back to my parents uh, in the heat of the moment that can never be taken back. But I remember some of those things. And they were not good. They were not good. And I'm ashamed of them today. Because I can't take those words back. And though I'm sure my, my parents long forgot such things, I haven't actually forgotten such things because the power of the tongue and your words can stay with you. can stay in your mind. Stay in your heart. How abusive it is. At the same time, here's a remarkable thing. Your tongue has the ability and the power to praise God, to bless God, James says. To actually render to God words that are pleasing to Him and acceptable to Him. That's how deadly and dangerous the tongue can be with its extremes. It can praise God, which is such a great and a glorious and a good thing, and then turn around in the next breath and spew out terrible words that hurt people's lives. Life, and not just death, is in the power of the tongue. You notice how verse eight, uh, 21 of chapter 18, Proverbs says, it, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And he says, those who love it 
love either death, love either uh, uh, life, the fruit of the tongue, will eat the results, the fruits of the words that we say. Think of what we do from a good perspective. Think of this morning. We pray, right? It's good. We praise God, which is good. We sing, how glorious that is. We sing words that describe God. Isn't it remarkable that the words on the pages of a hymn or music, we read them, they go into our minds, and we say them or we sing them forth, and there's a connection, isn't there? It's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Singing and praising, giving thanks with our lips. The Bible talks about thanking God all the time. You thank God with your lips. It comes from your heart, your mind, your life. But it comes out. And this is what the tongue can do. In fact, when you share the gospel with someone, it's usually with your mouth. Now it's true, as Matthew 5 says, we should be salt and we should be light. Because people see light. And Jesus says, people glorify your Father in heaven when they see your good works, the evidence of light within. So yes, your being salt and being light is evidence of what you are to be. And at the same time, though we live this kind of life, we say certain things, we witness, we share the gospel, we even confess the faith. I mean, somebody might ask me, what do you believe? And I will tell them, I believe this. It comes from my lips, from my mouth. But it's who I am, right? Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. That's what we've done this morning. We've come into the presence of God with thanksgiving on our hearts and out of our lips and we've praised God. The person who glorifies me, Psalm 50 says, as... His sacrifice, sorry, who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice, glorifies me. So if you thank God, it's a sacrifice that brings glory to God. So much good can be done with our lips, right? With our words. So much, so much profit can be rendered through them. In fact, the Bible tells us over and over again that we are supposed to edify one another. You know, the word edify means to build up, Right? There are many ways to build somebody else up, but you need to talk to them. You need to encourage them. It's not just by what they see, though that is a means of, of building up, but edification is the, are the words that you speak. We're supposed to edify one another, and we're supposed to encourage one another. I can encourage you with my life. You can see it, and I can see your life, and I'm encouraged by it. But it's usually by conversation, by the things we say to each other that stir us up, right, by... Uh, the words that we hear. So in order to be salt and to be light, I recognize that the character of my life must be this way, but I also recognize that I communicate the character of my life with my mouth, with my words. So as Christians, we should all be looking for ways to be salt and light, to reflect the character, Christ-like character, through our conversation through our words, through our mouths. The things that we say, the things that we do, ought always to be aimed at edifying and building and encouraging one another up. So now I want to, I want to dissect verse 21 a little bit further. Well, look with me at, at verse uh, 21 of Proverbs 18. First thing is, I want to talk about the destructive power of words. I've already said some of those things. 
So number one, the destructive power of words. You notice that death, the absence of life, or to put it this way, death and its consequences, which is destruction, are in the power of the tongue. In other words, your words hurt, can hurt, and they can kill, is what he says here. Or, your words which destroy can be very (coughs) destructive. Solomon says, excuse me, in Proverbs 10, that the mouth of the wicked hides violence. The mouth of the wicked conceals violence. <coughs> Proverbs 10, 4, 14, the mouth of a fool brings ruin. Now just go back up in chapter 18 <coughs> and look at verse 6 and 7. So Proverbs 18, verse 6, a fool's lips walk into a fight <coughs> and his mouth invites a beating. Verse 7, a fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Wow. Fighting, beating, ruin, a snare to his soul. It's not just on the physical level, but the soul part refers to the spiritual aspect of words and your mouth. A lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. You're all maybe been the recipients of flattery or perhaps you've used flattery. Flattery is deadly. In fact, a flattering mouth works ruin because it affects what somebody else hears. They might believe it and it goes to their head. (coughs) That's why Proverbs 12 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. The mouth of fools pours out folly. You know that even a whisper has the power to kill? I mean, look at chapter 18, verse 8. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. You know, a whisper is something that is used that is necessary to convey sometimes secret information. Well, stuff you don't want anybody else to hear, right? So you whisper. You whisper it. When you whisper something, somebody else has to lean in to hear what you say. And when they lean in to hear what you say, they become, in one sense, a, a conspirator with you. There's something conspiratorial about whispering. Because whispering has the power also to destroy lives. A whisper is like the wink of an eye. It aims at concealing what is really there in your mind and your heart. And whispers, which are tasty morsels, are really that which backbites, commits slander, and gossip. And what terrible things those can be, right? Destroying lives. These are the things then that tear down. These are the things that pull down, destroy reputations, destroy relationships, destroy lives. David knew what it was like. He said that all who hate me whisper about me. Psalm 41, which is a messianic psalm, by the way, which is of our Lord Jesus Christ. Slander is one of those sins which is very pernicious and which exists in every human heart. And it's everywhere. God hates slander. The one who conceals hatred 
has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool, Proverbs 10. It was Jesus in Matthew 15 enlisting all the stuff that comes out of our hearts included slander. Speaking ill of somebody else, bringing them down, saying things that are not perhaps true about them, twisting the truth to gain your own edge. And when you read the lists of sins that the Apostle Paul uh, mentions in 2 Corinthians 6 and 12, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, 1 Timothy 5, 1 Timothy 6, all those lists of sins by Paul, slander is on all of them. Because it's a very pernicious and a very dangerous thing. Words that come out of our mouths can kill lives forever, hurt people forever. But it's where they come from, right? They don't just come from your mouth. They come because you've thought about them. They've been in your mind. They've been in your heart and so on. So the destructive power of your mouth, the destructive power of your words is really an internal problem. Poison. Right? This is what James says. A well of poison. And the external result or consequence or application always of such things is death. Is death. So... To be practical, you have to watch your heart, right? You have to watch your mind. You have to watch your mouth. And you have to watch your lips. The destructive power of your tongue applies to every one of us. That's the first point. Second is the unretractable danger of words. The unretractable danger of of words. What do I mean by unretractable? You cannot take them back, right? That's all I mean. The unretractable danger of words is that you cannot bring them back to you and wish you'd never said them. They're done. They're out there. So when you say something like something bad, hurtful, it's there. It's out there. Can't be taken, taken back. Now sometimes I confess I may have said things to Chris that were hurtful. And she reminds me immediately, because that's such a good wife that she is, right? What are you talking about? You're speaking like a fool. You know, okay, I get the point, right? But the words are out. You know, it's not like when I, if I write you a letter and it's a very bad letter, the words are on the paper. You can say, aha, you see, it's what you, what you wrote. But when you say words... They're out there. They're not tangible. They're intangible. This is how powerful they are. These words that, because we speak the same language, we grasp the meaning and the intent. That's not good. And so they're irretractable or unretractable, I should say. So here's the thing. If death is in the power of your tongue, then your words, when you speak them, they set in motion a process that destroys or, good words set in motion a process that gives life. One or the other. But how does that work, right? There are two things that can happen when you say something. That's destructive, right? First thing is, words that are destructive or hurtful are very hard to forget. Uh-huh. Very hard to forget. That's number one. And secondly, words that are destructive are very hard to forgive. Right? Those are the two big problems we always have. 
how to forget something and how to forgive something or someone. Why is it so difficult then for someone to forget or to forgive? It's because your words are actually at that moment a reflection of yourself, of, your, of who you are. They're out there. You said it. Can't take it back. So you convey a position that, that maybe is not really who you are or want to be known as, but you've said it and now the words are unretractable. They're out there. And you might apologize immediately and say, oh, I didn't mean that. But the words are out there. Hard to forget sometimes. And very hard to forgive at the same time. Because your words are always a reflection of who you are. No matter how you think about it. That's why we all need to grow in grace. Gracious lips, right? They don't just happen. You have to train yourself. Learn. So you might not mean what you said in the heat of the moment. That may be true. But what you said is out there and someone heard it. And someone was hurt by it. And if death is in the life or in the power of the tongue, then destruction comes from what you have said. And once it's been heard by someone, it is very difficult to forget. Very difficult to forget. So a hurtful word, a destructive word, is not so easily forgotten. Do you know why? Because it came from you. Usually, these kinds of things happen in relationships. You know, if you see someone, you've never seen them in the, your life before, and you say something about them, whatever it is, and you may never see them again, well, the words are still out there, but usually pain and hurt is really felt by relationships, right? You cannot separate our actions from ourselves. Isn't that Matthew 5? Be salt, be light. That's your character. That's to be your nature because you're now a Christian. And salt is salty, isn't it? Has flavor. I mean, salt without flavor is, is useless. Jesus says it's worth nothing but to be cast out onto the manure pile, trodden underfoot. It's of no value. But salt is that which has many uses. So your life is to be salt. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. You are the light of the world. You shine. You demonstrate your life, your character. We cannot separate our actions from ourselves. This is why, by the way, a legitimate biblical rebuke is so powerful and can be so effective. And Paul often talks about rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. Because he recognizes this profit from that because it seeks to build, it seeks to restore, does not seek to destroy. One thing we know about God in the Old Testament, He's often rebuking Israel, isn't He? He speaks against Israel. Why? Because their character, their lives were, were demonstrating that they were anti-God. He often rebukes them. David said, let a righteous man rebuke me or strike me. It is oil for my head. Psalm 141. A scoffer, according to Proverbs 13.1, does not listen to rebuke. What is a scoffer? He scoffs with his mouth. Right? Doesn't listen to rebuke when it comes his way. But Proverbs 17 says that a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Wow. 
So words can be to our profit. Life or words can cause us pain. Death. Paul told Timothy that those who persist in sin should be rebuked in the presence of all so that everybody else may fear. Because rebuke is not just for an individual, right? Rebuke is for others. Isn't that the example of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 in the early church? When Peter rebukes Ananias and he falls down dead and rebukes Sapphira and she falls down dead, great fear came upon all who heard of this. Because you see, a powerful rebuke is very effective. It's good. Elders, according to Paul in 1 Timothy 5 or 1, are supposed to be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who oppose that sound doctrine. Now, you know, to exhort someone or to rebuke someone can be a very hard thing to do, right? And a very painful thing to hear when somebody rebukes you. Very profitable to learn from it, though. But it's the forgiveness part that everybody struggles with. Husbands and wives, their relationships can break down because nobody wants to forgive each other. Words have been said, and words are not forgiven. And so there's trouble in relationships, right? Or what about parents and children? What about bosses and employees? All relationships involve conversation. All relationships in life involve the use of words. And those words are either going to destroy or give life. And as Christians, we need to recognize the power of our words and the power of our tongues. Because they're either kill or give life. There is only one test for all Christians about forgiveness is that we must always forgive because Christ has forgiven us. Right? Colossians chapter 3.13 By the way, when Paul says we must forgive as he has forgiven, forgiven there is a present middle participle, which means you yourselves be forgiving. Be forgiving. Well, how often, Paul, should I be forgiving? <laughs> Always. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven us and Jesus forgives us. So forgiving someone for what they said to you is not to be just words from your mouth, right? Because it's easy to say, I forgive you. No, you have to really, truly show that you have forgiven someone, which is the hard part to do, right? It's easy to say, I forgive you, but to live forgiveness, show forgiveness, demonstrate forgiveness is a very different thing. You see, this is why character, godly Christian character, can go a long way to controlling the tongue. Guarding, guiding, directing its use and so on. When you confess your sins to God, you tell God. Right? You use words. God doesn't need you to use words. But confession is usually... The use of words, the use of your mouth, you tell God what you have done, you agree with God that what you have done is sin. You agree also with God that the consequences due you because of your sin is His wrath. That's what confession involves. And then you plead the mercies, the promises of Christ, 
and his work on your behalf. So confession leads to forgiveness. But what happens if I sin again and again? Then I must confess again and again. But it must be true and genuine and real confession. And not just going through the motions. So, because you cannot take back your words once you've said them, James gives us some very particular advice in James chapter 1 verse 19. He says we should be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. I've often thought, why does he go to anger? Well, anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God, right? But why go to anger? Because if you are slow, I mean, uh, slow to hear and quick to speak, anger's right there. Anger's right there. It's the next step, right? So be quick to hear, be slow to speak, James says, be slow to anger. Or as David says, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. What goes in? What comes out? Protect. God. So I, you know, we're, we're a variety of people. Some of us are introverts. Some of us are extroverts. Those who are extroverts tend to say a lot more, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that's a bad thing. Because an introvert in just one or two words who may never speak can use those two words to destroy a life. But we're all different. And we all recognize that conversation which occurs among us is that which is normal life. Yet in our conversation we must be careful. We must set a guard. We must keep watch over our lips. Be careful with our conversations. In fact, the best advice would be if you feel like you're going to say something that's not good, don't say it. Right? Easier said than done, right? So, the unretractable danger of your words. Third, let me talk about the uplifting beauty of words. We have a thing in the English language called an adjective, which exists in other languages, of course, as well. But adjectives in English are magnificent, beautiful, right? The exquisite, joy-filled, whatever. We use words like that because they convey a deeper, richer meaning to words that may just simply be plain by themselves, though we understand the word by itself. But the moment you use an adjective, There's a richness to it. There's a power to it. There is an uplifting beauty then that is associated with our words. I mean, notice death and life, right? They refer to the extremes of existence. Nothing in between. It's just death, life. In fact, Solomon is using what we would call a rhetorical device which is called a merism. And a merism is simply something that states the boundaries. Life and death. So you notice the last phrase of Proverbs 18.21. Those who love it are going to eat its fruits. What is the it? Those who love it. That's the tongue. Those who love the tongue primarily. And of course the power of the tongue secondarily. I don't think you can separate those right. The tongue has power no matter what. In other words, your tongue has this incredible power and potential to either give life or take life, which is the fruits. You will eat the fruits of your words, fruit of your lips. 
So every time I speak, every time you speak, every time we say something, there's always fruit resulting from it. Either our conversation builds or tears down. There's going to be fruit. And the fruits are the consequences, the results of your words that either end in death or end in life. So living or life-giving fruit... Fruitful words should be solid words, sensible words, sensitive words, spiritual words. These are all descriptive words of the kind of words we should use in our conversation. We should always aim to build one another up. But death-giving words or death-providing words are filled with self and filled with malice and filled with hate and filled with hurt and filled with wickedness are blasphemous and can be swearing. Isn't that Proverbs 18, 6, and 7, which we looked at? So words reflect anger or contention, or they reflect peace and encouragement, consolation. What you say builds up or tears down, and there's no middle ground anywhere. So let me give you some applications, right? Number one, we should recognize the power of the tongue, the power to poison, or the power to purify, right? It's, it's either that, isn't, there's, no, there's no in between, that's why I call this the, the purity or the poison of your tongue, because that's what it is. If it's not purity, it's poison. If it's not poison, it's good, it's pure. So we must learn this principle and know this principle, I possess the power of life and death by my words. That's the power I have, that's the power you have. I possess this power to take life, to be destructive, or I possess this power to convey life, to be constructive. You know how we always say, be constructive in your criticism? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, in the use of your words, be building up, be constructive, helpful, not destructive, tearing down, breaking down. So words can be hurtful or words can be healthy. Salt is good. That's the first thing. Recognize the power of your tongue. Number two. I must work at my words. Right? My conversation. How do I do that? Watch my mouth. Guard my lips. I must think before I speak, right? Or hesitate before replying. You know, some people can reply so fast, right? There's a danger to that. You haven't heard everything you ought to have heard, perhaps, and now you're replying. In fact, the Proverbs talk about don't say anything or speak a word too fast. Hear it first. Always be aware that whatever you hear may be the means to cause you to retaliate off the cuff. Off the fly, because of what you've heard. So recognize that I must work at my words. Restrain myself, refrain myself. <clears throat> Watch over, work on my words. <coughs> Number three. The greatest wordsmith of all time is none other than Jesus, right? The greatest wordsmith. Why? 
John 7, 46, no man ever spoke like this man. Or Luke chapter 4, all were wondering at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't that great? No man ever spoke like Jesus. And every time he spoke, prophet, life, every time, the truth. Paul said in Colossians 4, let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer every person. That's a great verse to memorize, right? Proverbs 15.26 says, gracious words are pure words. Proverbs 16.24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness for the soul and health to the body. Gracious words. So, when I think about Jesus as the greatest wordsmith of all time, nobody spoke like him ever or has, then surely I want to be like that. Right? Let my words, my conversation be like the words of the Lord Jesus. In other words, Jesus must be my standard for conversation, for words. Number four, you may have to repent of some of the things you've said. That's the facts. You may have to repent over some of your words that you've said, maybe even today. Or to put it another way, you may have to repent over things you've thought about you'd like to say to someone else. And remember, if you say a word, you've said it, and it's out there. Right? And you said it because you thought it. So a clean mouth, which is what we want, a pure mouth, constructive words, is associated with your mind. Mind and mouth belong together, go together, that what a man thinks in his heart, that's what he is. And it comes out in life, in conversation, in words, sooner or later. It's interesting about the nature of a hypocrite, you know. A hypocrite is somebody that they're not. There's a mask on them. They're covering up something. And yet, remarkably, most people can identify the hypocrite because there's no consistency. Things don't gel. Things don't match. You hear words and you observe character, right? You say to yourself, well, what does that mean? They're a hypocrite. They don't even know it. Well, they don't care about it. Hypocrisy is another one of those big slander sins, right? So, I may have to repent. You may have to repent. Number five. You know that this verse, Proverbs 18.21, isn't it perhaps a very great picture of salvation and condemnation, right? Life or death, right? I mean, that's, that's what you have here. Of having life which comes about through regeneration and brings a restoration of spiritual life or of possessing death, which is to be ruined. So we're either being restored into the image of Christ, or we are still in ruins because of sin. So in Christ we live, and in Christ we have life, we have Christ's life. Without Christ, we're dead, right? That's the description of the Bible. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Without Jesus, no spiritual life. 
just spiritual death. And there's a terrible consequence to spiritual death, isn't there? The wrath of God abides on them. Second Corinthians tells us that in Jesus, we are new people. What does it mean to be new? New in nature, new in mind, new in heart, new in mouth, new in thoughts, new in desires, new in everything, right? New. And you know how you appreciate or live in your newness? The old has what? Passed away. Don't live in it. Don't touch it. It's done. It's forgiven and forgotten by God himself. It's not you. You're a new creature in Christ. One of the reasons I think many Christians struggle with the doctrine of assurance, knowing that they are truly saved, is because of this great struggle with not believing the promises of God. Not believing the words from God that God has said. Now let me ask you, can you trust God? Can you trust His words? Can you trust what He has said? Can you believe confidently what God has said? I mean, look at, look at His Bible. Genesis to Revelation. I can trust this word. I can believe this word. These are the promises of God to me. God is reliable. God cannot lie. He tells the truth. Jesus saves sinners. He doesn't save the righteous. I did not come to save the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. <coughs> so Christ changes us. Not overnight in the sense of our sanctification, but over our Christian experience. Your Christian life is called a walk, isn't it? One step today, one step tomorrow, and on and on and on until you reach glory. Let every, let every step of your life be suffused with Christ and His character. Only Jesus can change you. Not perfect in this life, no, no. But growing in grace and being transformed by the Spirit's power. Finally, number six. No word is ever without a consequence. Every word we say or words, has consequences. Life or death, right? Every single word has the power to give life, to take life. I must keep my heart, and watch my mouth. So I'm going to ask you now, what kind of tongue do you have? Does it cut down, destroy, consume like a fire? Or does it seek to strengthen, encourage, build up? What kind of tongue do you have? It doesn't matter where you find yourself in age, whether you're a child or 90 years of age. It doesn't matter. Same things apply, right? What kind of tongue do you really have? Is your tongue for life? Or is your tongue for death? Or to put it another way, how are you using your words? And how have you used your words? Or to put it the way I've said in my title, does it poison? Or does it purify? 
Which is it? Which will we be like? Here's the scriptures that have given us this instruction. This little tongue which is such a, an inflammable thing can be under the grace of God through the gospel changed and deliver good. Deliver profit. Be constructive. And so this is the word of Solomon to us. Written so long ago. So practical, isn't it? So relevant. Right now. In your tongue, in your mouth. You have the power of death and life. Be careful then how you use your tongue. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And for the things that we've learned so simply about the tongue and the power of it. That in our mouths, in our tongues, there is this power to take life or to give life. And we ask that you would wash our mouths and cleanse our lips. That we might render that which is good and pure and clean and uplifting and godly. Because there's so much that we hear today that is so death-like and destructive. And no Christian ought to ever be like that. Pray that you will change us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that this change can only begin at the cross where Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Only his blood can cleanse us and wash us and purify us. We pray that we might know conversion. Every one of us here, born of the Spirit, changed. And then we pray by your sanctifying Holy Spirit that you would you would change us day by day into the likeness of your Son. So thank you, Father, Father, for your word. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, who is the eternal word, who has spoken to us. And now we pray your rich blessing upon us and the use of our tongues. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, take your hymnals and... Uh, <clears throat>